You've heard about spear phishing emails and so-called business email compromise attacks, but do you know how to spot them if they're targeting your organization? If not, you might want to tune in on January 24th at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for a Security Ledger webinar sponsored by Greathorn. We're going to be talking about how modern email-based attacks can be stopped with a full lifecycle approach to security that combines perimeter-based detection with user awareness and robust incident response and remediation. To register, go to securityledger.com slash email. That's E-M-A-I-L. Securityledger.com slash email to register. Hello, and welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, the Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode number 128, if it's early January, then it must be time for CES. This week, the massive consumer electronics show kicks off in Las Vegas with more than 4,000 exhibiting companies covering more than 2.7 million square feet of exhibit space. The event will attract more than 180,000 industry professionals who will be there to check out the latest gadgets, ranging from cars to refrigerators to watches and pretty much everything in between. But in a world where sensors are proliferating and pretty much everything sports an IP address, what place do issues like information security, device integrity, resilience, and data privacy have at a show like CES? Looking at the lineup at CES, it's clear that the Internet of Things is getting bigger, but is it getting any safer or more secure as it grows? Stacey Higginbotham is the host of the Internet of Things podcast and the creator of the Stacey on IoT blog and newsletter. She's been covering technology for more than 18 years and is one of the most respected experts and influencers writing about the Internet of Things. We caught up with Stacy on Sunday in her hotel room in Las Vegas. To start off, I asked her to tell us what CES is all about and what is on her dance card this week at the world's biggest consumer electronics event. Stacy Higginbotham and the creator of the Internet of Things podcast and the Stacy on IoT website and newsletter. Which we're big fans of here at Security Ledger. I'm so happy to have you on. I'm excited to be here. You are my first thing to do at CES. So, <laughs> okay. So we're here talking to you, Stacy Higginbotham of Stacy on IoT. As the big CES show kicks off in Las Vegas, you're a CES veteran. Um, I've actually never been, uh, nor have many of our listeners. So what I thought is that I'd start by asking you to give us a sense of what CES is like and kind of like what the vibe is in Las Vegas this week. Oh, man, it is crazy, chaotic. A lot of what we hear about from the CES crowd is tech reporters because we're all here and we're all writing about the latest gadgets, but it's also a show and it's primarily a show for the buyers of technology. So you run around and you see all these people, they range from people who buy stuff like for gas stations all the way to like folks who are, you know, Best Buy and other big name brands all here trying to meet with each other, trying to sell electronics, trying to see what's hot. It's like 120,000 of your closest friends all crammed into yeah. Vegas, spread out over a couple miles. 
Yeah, I, that's the thing too. It, it's such a big show. It's not even like you're at one convention center, which in Vegas, if you've never been there, these convention centers are are huge. It's like you could pull airplanes into these conference rooms. But this is bigger than any one. It's how many hotels and conference centers are actually part of this mega show? Ooh, I can tell you the two main are the Las Vegas convention centers. And so all of the halls in there, and that's a lot. And you tend to see the historic big tech companies, like a lot of the chip guys have their stuff there. You'll see the auto show is there. Uh, Virtual reality stuff is usually there. Google, who I'm sure we'll talk about, is camped out in the front of the Las Vegas Convention Center. And then there's also the Sands, which is the convention center attached to the Venetian Hotel. And and that's usually like, that's where I spend a lot of time because it's the smart home stuff and that sort of thing. Um, Some of the newer stuff in the basement is Eureka Park, where like universities and just random tech lives. And then all these companies that may not have gotten a booth, they may have bought a suite in any one of the hotels and are doing meetings there. So it's just up and down the strip. It's ridiculous. Okay. And what's on Stacy's dance card? I will be hitting everything, starting with <laughs> Mandalay, which is where they have all the media stuff. So that's today and tomorrow are the media days, which is Sunday and Monday. The show formally begins on Tuesday. And then, you know, I tend to spend one day at one of the venues because it takes like an hour to get from the Sands to the Las Vegas Convention Center. So it's really tough to do back and forth. Yeah. You're the best person to ask, what are the big takeaways or trends, at least in terms of cybersecurity and Internet of Things, that we're going to see out of this year's CES? Oh, man, Um, it's hard to say for a consumer perspective. You know, the smart home security services, I think we're going to see a lot of stuff happening there. I think Mm -hmm. what's going to be more interesting this year is security around enterprise and industrial IoT. You have to think about security differently when you don't have a perimeter, right? And this, you know, we're all like, yeah, duh. But it's very difficult to do, especially if you have a perimeter with different rights for each device, depending on time of day, who's carrying it. I mean, just just imagine the complexity here. So I think from a security perspective, we're going to see a lot around solving those issues also the issues of identity in, again, who has rights to things. These are going to happen mostly, though, in business in corporate settings, because those are the people who are going to pay for it and want to care. But think about something as simple as bringing the Amazon Echo into a business setting, right? You've got to say, oh, this person's voice, this is this person assuredly. And then you have to say, do they have access to this calendar? Do they have access to that sales data? Holy cow. (laughs) Right, right. Whole different provisioning process, right? And it's very, it's very alien to the way we're used to doing IT in enterprises. Yeah, you can't just like pop up a firewall and be like, ba-boom. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to Security Ledger Podcast and like what you hear, do us a solid and review our podcast on iTunes. You can go to the iTunes app, Click on the Security Ledger podcast and the review tab and give us five stars if you appreciate the work that we do. So as part of the preparation for our interview, I, I went into my like news reader and just kind of searched like CES and like, boy, <laughs> was that a mistake. That's that's crazy talk. I couldn't I can't even do that in my inbox. But like CES is just <laughs> holy cow. You know, we back in the day there was like Comdex, you know, you had these big like technology. It's a show about technology. And like those kind of went away and shows became much more niche, right? I mean, security shows and 
you know, gadget shows. CES is is really one of the few left that truly is like a technology show. There are many different types of technology, like healthcare and automotive, and 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 you talk a lot on Stacy on IoT about the sort of security privacy aspects of IoT. Are there some of those where there's more interesting stuff happening in the security and privacy arenas, where there's more going on, there's more awareness, there's more feature development, there's more of a conversation around security and privacy? So there will be that at CES. In the last few years, there's been a government track. CES is put on by CEA, which is a lobbying group for the consumer electronics industry. So CEA does a government education. They always bring in like FTC or FCC commissioners to come talk to people. So there will be one-off discussions all around at the convention center. There'll be like little panel tracks where people talk about that sort of thing. This year, they have something that I think is really interesting. They have a whole track devoted to resilience. I'm actually really excited to see what they have there because resilience isn't just security, but security is an aspect of that. And that's the first time they've had something like this. So I'll have to see it and let you know if they're actually talking about security stuff there, but I can't imagine that they wouldn't. What do you think they're talking about? When I think resilience, I think, okay, so we have these connected devices. We need to design them and manage them in a way that they don't just tip over and die as a result of a denial of service attack or tampering, that there's, there's some sense of like continuity for these connected things, especially like smart home and healthcare and those types of areas. I think so. So things like automotive, and if you think about connected medical devices, when you talk about resilience, there's one, the graceful degradation of a service in case of like your internet going down, right? So if the internet's not there, what does that mean for, so plan for that. But two, I think it's also auditability. So understanding, hey, what has happened to the information, what has happened to this connection to this device, which is very much a security thing, because you can't build resilience if you don't understand what's happening to the device. Because a lot of times I feel like we put things on the internet and we just pray and we're coming to realize that that's not a great plan. It's true. I've been praying really hard, Stacey, and nothing seems to be going right. So, <laughs> Yeah. You need to understand like, who is your cloud provider? How do they, you know, what do they do with your data? When you've got a, when you've got a contractor building your database for your web app, is, is it encrypted? You've got to actually start asking those questions. And that's both security, but that's also just so you understand what happens if something breaks. And then how do you fail over to something a little bit more reliable? So fingers crossed that there will be a security discussion as part of that. You've heard about spear phishing emails and so-called business email compromise attacks, but do you know how to spot them if they're targeting your organization? If not, you might want to tune in on January 24th at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for a Security Ledger webinar sponsored by Greathorn. We're going to be talking about how modern email-based attacks can be stopped with a full lifecycle approach to security that combines perimeter-based detection with user awareness and robust incident response and remediation. To register, go to securityledger.com slash email. That's E-M-A-I-L. Securityledger.com slash email to register. So one of the things that seems to be making headlines ahead of the show is this billboard that Apple took out uh, there, I guess, up on the strip, uh, kind of a play on the what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And, and the billboard is the data that happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone or something like that. My guess is most people are going to look up at that and say, what the heck does that mean? Could you 
enlighten us as to the conversation that's behind that billboard? Sure. I haven't seen the billboard yet. I've (laughs) just landed. But the conversation that Apple has historically had and and is right to have, they are very forward-looking in terms of encryption of data. They are very forward-looking in terms of not pulling your data out and storing it and doing things with it for like AI purposes, like maybe other companies are. They don't run advertisements against your data. They offer things like I've got a MacBook Pro. I've got encryption on my my hard drive if I want to turn that on. On my, I don't have an iPhone that I use normally. I should. It's the most secure phone. They vet their stuff in their app store. They do a lot of things that are good security practices. They also don't sell ads against your data, which is Google's business model and Apple's big competitor in the smartphone slash smart home. I don't even think of Apple as a huge player in the smart home, but mm. that's that's what they're going on about here. Now tell us, because you're you've been there. I mean, historically does Apple have a big presence at CES or are they kind of too cool for CES? Apple doesn't have a big presence at many trade shows at all. Apple is too cool for most trade shows. Yes. They do their stuff and that's about it. I mean I, I literally have written a story when I was at an event and I saw an Apple booth and I was like, holy cow, <laughs> I have never seen one of these. And they were recruiting developers. It was a DevOps-focused thing. And I was like, what is happening? Right, right. So this is not unusual. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, with Apple, I guess the attitude is the product is the product, not not the user. Whereas with Facebook and Google and so on, as we're learning to our uh, surprise, maybe, you know, we are the products, our data and, and their understanding of us is the product. As I look back at 2018, it strikes me that in some ways, it may be seen as the year that the worm turned on that, that people sort of woke up to that, to the way that these technology companies are mining and using their data in in ways that they're not comfortable with, and maybe sort of a, a retreat from a willingness to share everything about ourselves. I wonder if that's one of the trends we're going to see at CES. In other words, that people maybe are getting more knit brows when they talk about, um, you know, features and services that are based on, you know, a, you know, deep analysis of the data that you're giving them. I think this is going to be overplayed somewhat. And I think we need to have a real conversation about what you're getting in return for your data and understanding how people are using it. So it's one thing to put information on Facebook and find out they're doing fine-tuned demographic and data analysis about you and showing you things that based on that, that if you understood the bigger picture behind it, you're like, oh, that's morally reprehensible. I hate that. It is another thing to say, yeah, I'm going to give all of my voice search data to Google so it can improve its natural language processing. Or I'm going to give my Nest cameras my permission to look at the people in my house for facial recognition purposes so I can get notifications like Mm -hmm. Stacy has walked in the door as opposed to someone has walked into the door. So I think there's two different, there's more than two. There's there's a different level of use there, right? And I think people will continue to make trade-offs on their data for things that they find value in. Mm. So I find a lot of value in Google knowing my commute so it will warn me mm-hmm. when to leave my house. Mm-hmm. I find that hugely valuable. I don't find it, and I don't feel like Google is using that information to help Russia, you know, overthrow our election process. And I, and I think we're just going to have more nuanced conversations about how data is used. And I hope we have more transparency as a result of this. Mm. 
but we'll see. Mm. People may not care. People may say they care, but they may not actually care. Yeah, it's true. I mean, um, uh, there's a there is a bias towards convenience and and cool new features and so on that it seems often overrides our better angels. Yes. How many times have you like seen the hottest app, which is like, oh, take your picture and it'll tell you what fine art painting you look like, and everyone's like, yes, without actually realizing that when you take that picture, Google's using it for <laughs> you know machine learning, computer vision learning. I'm like, <laughs> yes, we we do yeah. that stuff all the time in. Then we're like, oh, I'm so mad at Facebook. I'm like, well. <laughs> you gave them that information, right? I mean, it was you. And in theory, I guess there was an exchange and you derive some pleasure and enjoyment from that exchange at the cost of your data. Right. Was it worth it? Maybe some kind of EULA in which they say, we are going to give you seconds of enjoyment and pleasure in exchange for which you will give us your data forever. <laughs> well, I think, and I think people are becoming more sophisticated about this. I don't know if we're all there yet, but I know that I am training, I have a 12 year old daughter. I am training her when she sees stuff like that. I'm like, you know, look at this. What they're saying is they're going to use this for this particular use case. Are you cool with that? She's like, I don't know. Should I be? I was like, well, let's think about the ramifications. And then she's like, never right. mind. I don't care. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, we're, we're partway there. Well, it's really interesting. And, and I encourage all the Security Ledger listeners to, to check out Stacey on IoT, your, your blog. You write a lot and uh, really personally about your use of a lot of these smart home platforms and devices, you know, Amazon Echo versus Google Home, and often your frustration at using them that, you know... <laughs> don't work a lot of the time or they do work in bad ways. I guess I'd ask you, given that you're using a lot of these at your home, how do you see that space, that smart home space developing? And where do you draw the line on privacy and and security around these devices? And what steps do you take to secure your own junk? That's a bunch of questions. So I'll try to get to them all. I know. I have a bad, I, I do that all the time. First off, I, before I bring something into the house, I tell everybody in the house what it is. I think it's really important for people to understand that if I put a camera here, they, we all have a conversation about what that means. So my family knows that I have a camera at the front door for the front doorbell. That means I can see them when they walk out, which means sometimes, you know, my husband will walk up carrying my Christmas present and you'll see him realize, oh crap, there's a camera and he'll shove it like under his shirt. Um, I use that. It's a funny example, but it is an example of how these things like I am always watching their front door. So could anyone else? So that's one thing that we think about. And I bring up because a lot of people don't think about sharing that with their family. And I think it, it really is important, especially with this idea of like domestic abuse in the home. When it comes to security, I think what I do is I, I change my password on every single device I bring in the house. When I talk to a company, I didn't used to do this, but in the last two or three years, I've started asking every company that I review their device, how do you handle encryption? Both you mm -hmm. know, within my home, in the cloud, how do you handle mm -hmm. things like, uh, how do you store my passwords? That's Many times they can't answer that particular one, but you know they always get back to me. I also look and see... If I'm going to buy a device and I'm not talking to the vendor, I look and see how they've handled previous security things. I don't think it's really a, a black mark necessarily if someone's had a, a hack against them because the more popular devices people test out. What's important to look for is making sure that, oh, hey, someone hacked a Nest Cam. 
What did Ness do about it? How responsive were they? So those are the things I look at just broadly. Um, I've changed my password on my router. I've Mm -hmm. done all the, you know, the basic stuff. And then I also, and this is one of the big trends I think we'll see in the smart home in the coming year, is I signed up for something, it's Eero Plus. I signed up for a security service and there's a bunch of these, like Cujo has Mm -hmm. one, Symantec, Yep. There's a bunch of them. Bitdefender. Yep. Bitdefender. And I haven't historically recommended them to people because I mm-hmm. felt like they were kind of overkill. But I'm testing a couple of them out to see if maybe I should change my mind. So right now with Eero, which I just added on, I'm kind of like, so far, nothing has like blown me away, right? I apparently do not have any devices that are like doing anything terrible that Eero has determined, right? I do think it's nice to see like, oh, look. Oh, another another computer joined my network. That means my child did not use the guest network that she's supposed to give out to her friends. Arr! So, you know, <laughs> those are kind of things that cut off her internet access. We we have we're gonna have that discussion again. That's actually a really important point, I will say to anybody who's worried about their home network security. Your biggest culprits are gonna be old IP cams. You know, mm. should, take those things off. Think about mm-hmm. your printer. That's another one. You can change your password on your printer. You should do it. And then your television and then your kids. If you have kids, get them an easy to access guest network and give that to, I mean, honestly, you might want to put them on it, but but definitely make sure they put their friends on it. And when you ask these companies that are making smart home uh, devices and services, these security questions about data encryption and, you know, enabling multi-factor authentication or, um, you know, real-time software updates or whatever the question is you ask, is it your impression that more of them have answers to those, like good answers to those? Or is it still, you know, you get the sort of pained look or the long pause on the other end of the phone? It depends on the company. A tech-focused company, yes, they have those answers. If you're a startup building some sort of like new IoT device, you know. What happens a lot of the rest of the time is when I'm talking to like an appliance company, they have someone who knows the answer, but it's not the marketing person that I'm talking to. And that's fine. They'll get back to me with the answer. It is very rare nowadays that I have someone when I ask these questions, they're like, oh, what? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's getting there. You've written a fair amount about sort of uh, nascent IoT platforms. And and we've written a little bit about that at Security Ledger as well. There are a ton of them. There are a ton of different competing companies and platforms that all want to be the platform to deploy your IoT device on. Um, you follow it a lot more closely than I do. Are any of these emerging as sort of the 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 next, you know, the sort of wind tell of the IoT, you know, the the killer platform that everyone's going to use and that's just going to become what everyone deploys on? There are definitely, I mean, those, Ayla and Tuya are definitely very popular platforms right now. There's also a couple others like Afero. There, there are several that are really emerging is is pretty stable, popular choices. So Apple had a big earnings warning the other day. And one of the interesting sort of side conversations was that one reason, at least from Tim Cook's perspective, is that more people are holding on to their phones longer. And God forbid, they're actually repairing them. They're putting new batteries in them and just not tossing them on the trash heap when when they start to get a little long in the tooth. And, and right to repair is a big issue. Apple's not always on the right side of it. Do you see the sort of repair culture? maybe getting its foot in the door out there at CES 
podcasts where it's generally all been about bright, new, shiny things? Oh, wow. That's a tough one. I'm going to say no. Yeah. I'm going to say there's a couple things behind Apple's challenge right now. I think one, their devices are really expensive. Two, Mm. I think every home has an IT budget, as it were. (laughs) And I think we're filling that with a lot of different Mm. stuff. I think also their phones have changed. I know a lot of people hanging on to their sixes, their iPhone sixes, because they have a, you know, they're small. They have a headphone jack. They're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to move up in the world yet. And then the other thing that does worry me, and this is a security perspective, as you do that, we're going to start seeing devices fall out of, you know, over the air updates, security Mm -hmm. updates, right? And so we should be having a conversation about like expiration dates for devices in tech devices that we're not really having yet. And I don't know how that's going to go because if we, not just your phone, but if you think about your thermostat, how long does your thermostat get, you know, device updates? How long do you support gen one of your nest? I'd love it to be there on my wall for, you know, 15 years because I don't really want to have to think about my thermostat that often. So but I don't, no one really wants to talk about this. I keep bringing it up and everyone's like, eh, we'll support it forever. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great conversation to have. And I love the idea of every home having an IT budget. I think that's absolutely true. And I think we're starting to maybe see the limits of it, as you pointed out. Hey, Stacey Higginbotham of Stacey on IoT, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us uh, on the Security Ledger podcast. And best of luck this week in Las Vegas at CES. Thank you. And I am glad to have done this. So, no, yay. me too. This has been a pleasure. Stacey Higginbotham is the creator of the Internet of Things podcast and the Stacey on IoT website and newsletter. You can check her out at stacyoniot.com. <laughs>